Good morning, church. It's good to be with you all by way of Facebook Live. Our scripture lesson today is found in the Gospel of John. It is uh, Easter evening, a post-resurrection appearance by Jesus to his disciples who are locked behind closed doors. And in verse 19 of John 20, we read these words. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, this is the last Sunday that uh, this team of folks will uh, be doing uh, online worship without at least some congregation present, and I just want to uh, thank each one of them, as I know uh, you do, as those who are watching on Facebook Live, for their faithfulness in being here week by week over these last months, and offering uh, an alternative way for us as a community of faith to worship our God. It has been such a blessing to me to see them come together with such great attitudes, with such enthusiasm and creativity, and make this happen. And uh, I think they've done an excellent job. Um, and I can't hear you clapping, but clap along with me and thank them. Uh, really, really grateful for all of them. I think there's nine or ten of us here today, and that's generally been the numbers that we've had. And there's a reason why we've kept the same group together, and that was to avoid uh, any possible uh, contamination, passing on the coronavirus to one another. Uh, God forbid that should happen, but we are, we are excited to have Sarah back today uh, so that uh, she could come and sing for us, and it's been because we love Sarah that I've told Sarah don't come uh, because of uh, just some concerns uh, that she is indeed part of that higher risk uh, population, but uh, we're grateful that things seem to be improving uh, in a general sense with COVID-19, and we are going to be very cautious and careful how we come together next week and in the following weeks. But um, for those of you that feel comfortable doing so and are not in one of those at-risk categories, then we invite you to join us tomorrow, uh, excuse me, next Sunday for worship here at the church. It will be uh, great to be back, even if we'll be in masks and sitting six feet apart as families and couples and individuals, depending on our situation. But anyway, thank you, team. Appreciate your efforts. Uh, let's uh, have a word of prayer. God, we, we thank you so much for all that has, has made this service of worship on Pentecost uh, deeply meaningful. Thank you for our bishop, for his prophetic and courageous leadership. As an African-American male, uh, he understands better than any of us in this room and most of us that are watching today what, what it's like to experience um, 
all of these various manifestations of racism, which is a disease that has infected our nation and our culture for as long as we have existed. We pray that the Holy Spirit would come with great power in moving our nation, Lord, to quell the violence and to move people uh, to meaningful conversation that will lead to change and transformation in our nation. These are indeed anxious, uh, even calamitous days for us as a country. We pray, Lord, that we would turn our hearts to you. That we would repent deeply of our national and individual sins. That we would cry out to you, oh God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us in these United States of America. May we all find place to humble ourselves, to kneel in your presence, and to cry out for your mercy. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I can't breathe. These were the last words of George Floyd this past week, who died while a police officer had his knee on his neck for almost nine minutes. It was outrageous. It was painful, uh, very disturbing to watch. The officer has been charged with third-degree murder. And the rest of the story is still unfolding, and it is devastating. 25 cities across 16 states have declared curfews as protest and rioting have erupted across this nation. All I have been able to pray is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us sinners. We, we all know that breath is essential to life. I recall as a kid being at Daytona Beach, Florida, when a man's lifeless body was pulled from the surf. Bystanders were asking, is he breathing? Lifeguards furiously tried to resuscitate him. We walked on. I don't know if the man survived. As a pastor, I have stood by the bedside of countless persons over the years as their breathing began to rattle and slow to only three or four breaths a minute. With long pauses, life began to slip from their body until there was no more breath. When breathing stops, so does life. The coronavirus is a life-threatening pathogen that attacks the lungs of its victims. The most critically ill patients need to be put on a respirator. And as we all recall, just two and a half months ago, there, there were not enough respirators in some part of the country to preserve and save human life. A respirator helps a person breathe. My son Jared, who's a physician um, in trauma and critical care, a surgeon, is trained to administer ECMO, which is an artificial lung machine which is used in the most desperate of cases. 
Nearly 370,000 people have died in this world in the last five months from COVID-19. And over 105,000 of them are Americans, and they say that another 20,000 will likely die between now and the end of June. The coronavirus, COVID-19, the disease caused by this virus, literally takes your breath away. Human beings, on average, take 25,000 breaths every single day. Without a second thought, we breathe, right? Unless, of course, there's a problem with our breathing. The autonomic nervous system regulates breathing so that we don't even have to think about it. Breathing is amazing. It is truly an incredible function of our bodies that keeps us alive. Journalist James Nestor became interested in the respiratory system years ago after a doctor recommended that he take a breathing class to address the problems that he was having with pneumonia and bronchitis. James Nestor was otherwise a very healthy young man, physically fit, active, a runner. He decided to find out what the role breathing has in our overall health. As a journalist, he just he could not uh, pass up an opportunity to learn more about uh, this, this process of breathing. And he spent years researching breathing, and it led him to write a very interesting book that coincidentally with Pentecost and with this sermon I was preparing this week was just published this last Tuesday. And I've read part of the book online, and it's entitled Breathe, the New Science of a Lost Art. Nestor says that human beings over the centuries, especially during the modern period, have lost our ability to breathe correctly. And as a consequence, there, there have been serious health issues that have developed that were largely unknown by ancient people. Poor breathing affects our blood pressure, our heart health, our stress levels. Uh, it also impacts other organs, such as the kidneys, and it contributes to things like snoring, as we know, <laughs> and sleep apnea. However, what's more fascinating to me than the physiological aspects of breathing is, is the spiritual imagery of Scripture that uses the word breathe or breathing time and time again in both the Old and New Testaments. In these ancient texts of the Bible, there, seem, there seems to be this understanding that breathing is essential to life, physically and spiritually. Mark 15:37 says that when Jesus died on the cross, he cried out and breathed his last. Doctors say that those who were crucified died of asphyxia. They literally drowned in their own fluid and and by the weight of 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 hanging on a cross by their their hands, by their arms. They suffocated to death. In Acts 9-1, we read that Paul, before his conversion, 
in which he was later known as, as Paul. But Saul, the persecutor of the church, was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. In Ezekiel's vision, the Spirit of the Lord brought him into a valley that was filled with countless skeletons. Something we might see in a horror movie today. Look, I'm going to put breath into you, says the Lord, and make you live again. And then the Lord said this to Ezekiel. Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. Genesis 2.7 says the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The breath of God, ruach in Hebrew refers to the life-giving presence of God throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Greek word is pneuma, which also means breath or wind. Scholars say that both the Hebrew and the Greek are, are ways in which the writers of Scripture refer to the mystery, the mystery of God's presence found in the activity and the person of the Holy Spirit. The passage that Jeremy read for us uh, earlier in this service out of Acts chapter 2 says in verse 2 that on the day of Pentecost, a violent rushing wind roared through the house where the disciples were waiting for the promise of the Father. And so on that first Easter night, 50 days earlier, when Jesus appeared to the terrorized disciples who were hiding in fear from the Jews behind locked doors, He breathes on them corporately as a group, but also as individuals. And He says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I read this week that in the past, the patriarch of the Coptic church in Egypt would literally breathe into a bag made of animal skin and send it out to those who were being consecrated to lead the church in different regions. Just before Jesus breathes on his disciples, he says to them, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. The Greek word, uh, the verb here, send, is apostello, and it means to send away. It is related to the noun uh, apostolos, which means apostle, translated apostle, and, and it means to send forth. This seems to be a rite of commissioning for these these men, not unlike the great commission that he gave to them in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus is sending them out just as he sends each one of us as disciples, uh, as his disciples, 
to make other disciples, to be witnesses in this world, to work for racial justice and for peace, to advocate for the least of these, to feed the poor, to care for the dying, to heal the sick, to restore broken relationships, to preach and teach the gospel, and on and on it goes. This is part of the commissioning of being sent out into the world. Not to be corrupted and stained and polluted by the world. To be carried away uh, by its violence and ugliness and discrimination and and prejudice. But instead to be transformed by Christ so that when we enter the world, we are light in darkness. And we are salt that preserves our culture, our nation, and our world from further decay. This action of Jesus was linked to what would happen um, again 50 days later on Pentecost. And just as the breath of God brought physical life to the first man in Genesis chapter 2, the breath of God now imparts spiritual life to those sent ones who would be known as apostles. Apostles. Not merely disciples, which is a learner, but an apostle, one who has been sent out in the name of Jesus Christ. There's undoubtedly uh, some overtones of Ezekiel chapter 36 here. The Lord speaks of a day when a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. Oh Lord, make it so today. Make it so. These who were paralyzed by fear in one moment received a taste of the empowerment that soon would be theirs at Pentecost as their hearts were made alive and new and fresh and courageous. Those who were paralyzed by fear were now invincible, uh, it seems, as we study the book of Acts. The irony of of our day, when we are wearing masks to protect ourselves and others, especially others from COVID-19, is that we often wear a different kind of mask in the church today to hinder the life-giving, heart-changing work of the Holy Spirit. Many of us are afraid of the breath of God because of what He might doing us and through us. We're afraid of expressing emotion, of, of being enthusiastic in worship and in ministry and in our life together. When it comes to expressing our faith with others, we're intimidated by the world, not seeking to transform it. It's been my experience that largely Christians are uninformed and afraid of the Holy Spirit. And frankly, I think part of it is is, uh, ignorance, but I think much of it is that we are afraid of losing control of our lives, of having someone else call the shots in our day-to-day lives. The Holy Spirit has an essential role in the life of the disciple in cultivating and transforming us 
into personal holiness. But we cannot be the church. We cannot fulfill our mission in the church without the Holy Spirit's power and anointing and presence in our midst. And believe you me, the Holy Spirit is as much Lord of the church as Jesus and God the Father. And so we need to listen to Him, we need to follow Him, we need to allow Him to have His way with us. What we need is is a new Pentecost. Uh, the, The new normal of the church does not need to be a church devoid of the Spirit's presence and power. The new Pentecost ought to be the new normal of God's people. As we begin to return to our places of worship in the weeks and months ahead. A missionary to China was facing great difficulty in trying to teach the Trinity uh, to the people. This idea that God is one God. They were accustomed to understanding God in many different ways and in many different manifestations because there were perhaps many gods. But there is one God, the missionary said, a God of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As you know, one of the symbols, manifestations of the Spirit in the New Testament is a dove. And this Chinese man, lost in the maze of this Trinitarian theology, said to the missionary, Honorable Father, I understand. Honorable Son, I also understand. Honorable Bird, I do not understand at all. The man had it right, I think. The Honorable Bird. The Holy Spirit and His work is not easily understood. It is spiritual in nature. It is invisible in nature. It it is uh, mysterious in nature. The Holy Spirit is far less tangible in, in, in our thinking than Jesus, God the Son, who became human flesh. The Holy Spirit is wind. The Holy Spirit is fire. The Holy Spirit is breath. But He is also a person. He is not an it. He is a person who speaks, convicts, helps, teaches, guides. And because He is a person, He can be resisted, grieved, blasphemed, tempted, lied to. But He can also be received. Glory to God. Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Man, I would have liked to have been in the room. Wouldn't you? To have been there when Jesus breathed in my face, not practicing social distancing at all, (laughs) breathed in my face uh, and, and said to me, Greg, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe Pentecost calls us to unmask ourselves. Just another way to talk about surrendering ourselves. Stripping away uh, all the, the false selves that we tend to wear. And to breathe in the fullness of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. I believe Pentecost calls us to welcome and embrace The breath of God. Because friends, we need to breathe. Breathing is essential to life. Breathing physically and spiritually 
is the only way we can survive in this world, which has gone crazy just in recent weeks and months. It makes a great deal of, of difference in life if you believe, if you really believe, as I do, that you are born again, indwelt, purified, gifted, enabled, and empowered, not by some impersonal force, but by a person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit, who loves you, who loves me, who loves the church, who loves the world, who's at work in the world today. He loves us just like God the Father and Jesus the Son. Over 1,600 years ago, St. Augustine of Hippo wrote this prayer. I love this prayer. And I've prayed this prayer so many times that I invite you to pray it with me. Just to bow your heads. And before God, affirm these words as I say them out loud. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love only that which is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen.